When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back with you guys for another episode of our Press Box series, our show in which we have a chat with our good friends over at London. I'm joined by Kai. Kai Nack, how you doing, mate? You good, you well? I'm very good, thank you. How about yourself? Yes, very good. Uh, I, I, I went out for lunch, like because obviously we got our 30 minute breaks, went out for the first time, just went out for a walk, just, you know, headspace nice. clear. And the sun felt warm for the first time in what feels what? like years. I know. In January, <laughs> what's going on? It's, it's very crazy. cold for me. Uh, yeah, I've, I, we just, I had my window open, um, but I've shut it now. It's still freezing cold. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, you had your window open, so of course I it did. was freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> this is just schoolboy error, really. <laughs> this is why I talk about football and nothing else, because, yeah. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Um, speaking of uh, reactions uh, to things and maybe going a little bit over the top, uh, Arsenal's game against Spurs was postponed, of course, and we're now in kind of the day after the night before, if you like. And uh, the reaction to Arsenal's postponement was was hectic. And I mean, there were very few kind of public defenders. We had to rely on the likes of Micah Richards to step up in Arsenal's defence, which was great to see. But I'm curious to kind of what your reaction to the reaction has been. Reaction to the reaction. Um, Proper inception. Yeah, yeah. I think that the reaction was over the top, but I, I sort of sympathise a little bit with like the Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher because what they said was, it's not about Arsenal, it's the whole rules. That said, <laughs> they only decided to talk about it now that it's Arsenal and it just, I don't know, it seems like those two in particular um in the summer when Arsenal had a real right to get that Brentford game called off and they lost it. And then Neville and Carragher were both sort of like cheering up the Brentford fans and dancing with the Brentford fans on live TV when they're supposed to be impartial broadcasting. And really went in on Ben White as well. Exactly. Exactly. Who subsequently tested positive for COVID himself. So yeah, uh, yeah I think that's, uh, I find it difficult to swallow that criticism coming from them and, Listen, what Richard and Sunez said yesterday on TV was 100% correct. Arsenal did what any other team would do. And I know that a lot of fans are very upset about that. And a lot of people are pointing to the Leeds example of how, how Leeds played, even though they had loads of injuries. But Leeds had the 13 players required. Arsenal didn't. It's as simple as that. And the Premier League made a rub for their own backs by basically accepting African Cup of Nations as an excuse for not having players uh, when they did it with Leicester, who have already applied and they've got four players waiting at the African Cup of Nations. That's Ian Acho, Ndidi, Amate and someone else who slipped my mind. Ah, Mendy. Um, mm. So that's four players. And then also when it comes to having minimal COVID cases, obviously Martin Odegaard, as far as we know, was the only suspected COVID case at the time. And then it's since been reported that another person tested positive within the playing staff. We don't know who that is yet, but... They sort of allowed that with Newcastle. Newcastle applied on their New Year's Day game to get it called off. Um, Southampton were very upset about that. But they basically said to Newcastle, look, you've got lots of injuries. And Newcastle had seen uh, Alan Sant-Maximan. They'd seen, um, they'd seen, oh, goodness, what's his name? Callum Wilson got mm. off injured as well. 
So yeah, it's it's, it's been a tricky uh, tricky set of circumstances the Premier League have got themselves into. And listen, <laughs> this this is the consequences. This is the fallout. The question now for me is, how do you then stop that? If that makes sense, where do you draw the line? Because I think lots of teams quite rightly will say, well, look, if Arsenal were able to get away with it, then why won't we be able to get away with it? Let's say if, I don't know, just random team off the top of my head, West Ham next week have one COVID case and 10 injuries. What's to stop them from applying? Nothing. And the Premier League have set this precedent and they can't really go back from it now. So it's a tricky one. And I personally, as much as I think it should be resolved, and I think it should have been resolved in the first place, I don't really think it can be resolved fairly at least until the end of the season so I think we're kind of stuck with this and it's going to continue to be a thing until the end of the season unless something happens and then the whole integrity of the competition thing comes into play and all that kind of stuff and yeah it's it's, it's very messy. Yeah it's interesting isn't it when we talk about kind of what can change and when's the right time to change things when you identify an issue throughout a season I mean we've seen things in the past like with handball rules in penalty boxes offside kind of leniencies in the past but this this seems different because it's kind of it's had such a huge impact on the season already that if you change the rules at past the midway point of the season there is going to be some the integrity of the league if you like is is going to have issues related to it and and questions will be asked um leading obviously then into the next game um what's kind of your view and understanding of the likelihood of of Arsenal still being heavily affected for the Liverpool game on Thursday so the injuries that came up at the end of the Liverpool game were Cedric, Tierney, Chambers and Saka, Saka as well, of course. Uh, as far as I know, it seemed from sort of the indications after the game from Arteta that Saka was OK. Um, I wasn't Chambers were injured until those reports came out. So I guess that's something we'll find out. At the press conference tomorrow, that's a Wednesday 1.30 press conference. Not tomorrow, sorry, Wednesday. Today's Monday when we're recording this. But um, yeah, we'll find out then. Um, as for Erdegaard, I don't know if he's vaccinated, but um, maths would seem to dictate that he should be available for that Liverpool game, uh, assuming that he is. But I guess, again, that's something we'll find out. And then we'll hopefully find out who that missing player is. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to say whether the game will go ahead. I think my inclination will be that it will. But I still don't quite see how Arsenal are going to be able to field a midfield because you know, Xhaka is suspended, obviously. If Odegaard's out, we don't know what's the state status with Smith Rowe. We don't know if Ben White's going to have to go in there. So it's it's tricky. But as things stand, at least, it does look like uh, the game is going to go ahead. And I think Arsenal have always been... Obviously, Sunday was the exception. But I think generally when Arsenal have had the requisite number of players to play the game, they have done so. We saw that against Norwich on Boxing Day when they had four players ruled out due to COVID. They still play. So... I think if Arsenal can get the game gone and go ahead, they definitely will look. Yeah, I, I think that we're in a situation where we've seen Arsenal in the past, as you've highlighted, play games where they've been hugely affected by COVID or injuries or whatever. We talk back to the Brentford game, you bring up there the Norwich game, and which obviously kind of adds to the ludicrousy of, of why there was such a huge reaction to the game at the weekend being called off, um, maybe because of the stature of the game and, and the fact that it would, it's such a huge match and and big players were missing for Arsenal as well, rather than, it feels like if it was all of the surplus fringe players that were out, there wouldn't be as, and I'd say Arsenal would still ask for it to be called off, even if they had like their first 11 available, maybe there wouldn't have been as, as much of a high profile uh, rapture about it, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, 
so that's kind of Arsenal news uh, around January, which then leads us quite nicely, obviously, into the realms of transfers. And it's still very quiet. Uh, and I say quiet in the sense of nothing's happened yet regarding ins. Outs look like they're slowly taking place. Pablo Maria were expecting to, to complete his low move to Udinese. Kalasinac and Marseille remain in talks, but there's obviously this chaos with Marseille at the moment. However, that transfer ban or reported transfer ban is unlikely to affect them this window. So you'd imagine there wouldn't be too many issues if they did want to complete a deal for Kalasinac this month. So regarding possible ins, um, the bigger kind of most likely deal, what's, or what seemed that way anyway, a few days ago was Artemelo of, of Juventus looking the most likely. However, uh, Massimiliano Allegri seems quite resolute in trying to keep the player and Juventus seems quite resolute regarding keeping the player if they're unable to find a replacement for him. Um, however, news did break this morning from Italy that there is a feeling that because of the player's kind of motives and want to, to make the deal happen and Arsenal's pressure, that this is one that could still be relatively felt comfortable about that it would eventually get done. But I'm intrigued as to, to kind of where you sit, Kaya, on this one. Um, Arthur is a player who I have my reservations over in terms of his stylistic fit. I don't quite know whether he's the guy who Arsenal need at the base of that midfield, and I don't know if he's the guy for a double pivot. He did really well at Barcelona in a 4-3-3, um, sometimes a 4-4-2 under Valverde, but more often a 4-3-3, and um, I just don't really see him in a two-man midfield. I don't think he's got the defensive awareness, particularly in the Premier League, where you get closed down very quickly. Sometimes his touches can be a little bit loose. He likes to dribble out of problems and that can be a risk and I wonder if his passing is as good as Arsenal would need it to be for a deeper line midfielder as to whether the deal will happen um who knows it's, it's tricky because I don't know if Arsenal actually arguably need a central midfielder anymore I was just discussing this with some colleagues earlier actually and there's only two more games left in January and beyond that then there's no FA Cup there'll be hopefully the final of the Carabao Cup but beyond that you're just looking at Premier League games until the end of the season for Arsenal and with the four of um, obviously Elneny, Partey, Xhaka, and Lakonga, with Party with Patino, sorry, to come in potentially if needed, I think Arsenal would be able to get by until the end of the season. The Arthur sort of ramping up before the Liverpool game and before the Spurs game, I think, was maybe in response to having to get that deal over the line, maybe a bit of short termism. Now that that's not really a thing anymore, I question whether it will actually happen because. We never really heard about Arthur Mello being um, sort of talked about as one of those longer term options. And I think Arsenal are keen to avoid looking at short term things. They're keen to sort of go for longer term strategies like we saw in the summer with those six signings that were all made with the future in mind. So personally, I'd be surprised. I think we're looking more at sort of some other names that have been linked. So the likes of Yuri Tielemann, the likes of Bruno Kimmeresh, I think they make a bit more sense than the Arthur deal right now. But um, listen, who knows? It's the January transfer window. Anything can happen. There you go. You heard it here first. Exclusive. Arsenal signing Lionel Messi next month. Lovely stuff. Um, in regards to other positions, the other key one, as we all know, is is striker and Dusan Vlaovic. Uh, the I feel like whenever we do a transfer update show, we just should call it the Dusan Vlaovic show at this point because it is kind of the main talking point. Um, news kind of filtering through the Arsenal. Um, I've always kind of been very much leading the race of a race of seemingly just ourselves in this month in particular. No one else really seems to be going for him this month. And if that is to be the case, he would probably wait until the summer if he wanted to move elsewhere. Uh, Italian reports claiming that now Arsenal's bid uh, has actually officially kind of gone in. Um, 
But that, again, never really seemed to be the problem with this deal. Arsenal and Fiorentina agreeing a fee never seemed to really be too much of an issue or was expected to be too much of an issue. Even from the player's perspective, whilst I'm sure he's got the world at his feet right now and can choose from multiple clubs, I feel like, and the perspective of a lot of fans is, if he had absolutely no interest in Arsenal, why on earth would Arsenal be persisting and and trying to get a deal done for the player? And so therefore, through process of elimination and through obviously rumours that circulate, the agent still appears to be the biggest block and obstacle for Arsenal to try and deal with. The really interesting interview that took place, I think, with Fiorentina's, I think it was either their owner or their CEO with the Financial Times when they kind of revealed about how much that the agent wanted to kind of just renew his contract with the club does give some insight into kind of the agent that Arsenal were going to be dealing with, Edu specifically is going to be dealing with. How are you feeling now after the last time we spoke about Blaovic and the likelihood of a deal? And also, if this isn't one that can get done, we talked about there and you highlighted specifically, Kyra, about the midfielders that are going to be coming back and available, but for the striker position, especially with this health concern surrounding Aubameyang, even if he was to repair the relationship with Arteta in the short term, we don't know how that would affect him in the long term. So where are you sitting with the striker situation now? Um, just on the Aubameyang thing, um, we've heard mm. from Arsenal that it's sort of not as, what's the word I'm looking for, not as bad maybe, so, as, uh, uh, as some of those reports would suggest. Obviously, mm. when you hear like heart problem, you think, God, that sounds very serious. But um, Arsenal have sort of um, informed us and briefed that uh, Aubameyang is okay. And they sort of kept mm. tabs on it themselves and they sort of, advised to sort of look upon that Gabon statement about his heart and about obviously all the impacts from COVID with a degree of caution. So hopefully that is the case and hopefully he's okay because I, I think, listen, as much as he's not played and he's out of favour at the minute, we can all appreciate that Emmerich Aubameyang is still a fantastic uh, footballer and hopefully he won't sort of have his career affected. We've seen quite a few players um, have their career affected in, in recent weeks. So fingers crossed that would be fine. Um as for the rest of the strikers, well, Aubameyang is coming back from the African Cup of Nations. So he's coming back. I think he's coming on his way back maybe now or in the next few days. He's yeah, come back. So that means that Arsenal will technically have more options. Obviously, Balogun's gone out on loan. We don't know what's happening with Eddie Nketiah. Personally, he's really impressed me when he's been given the chances. And I would be worried about if Alexander Lacazette gets injured and then Arsenal need to sort of rely on Eddie. Um, personally, I think that's not what you need to get yourself top four football. I think you need a more proven goal scorer than that. Um, so if Aubameyang does continue to be uh, sort of left in the cold and Gabriel Martinelli looks better on the wings, then we're looking at maybe bringing a, a centre forward for Arsenal. And obviously, Blaivic is the name who's been linked quite heavily. I, I'm hopeful that it could happen. I'd, I'd be really happy if it did happen because I think he is probably up there with the top five best young strikers in Europe. Obviously, got Mbappe Haaland, uh, who are, you know, in another world and will probably be competing for the Ballon d'Or for the next 10-odd years. But beyond that, I can't think of too many players who are, I think are more exciting than Vlajevic and who's got a better goal record than Vlajevic. So if Arsenal can get that deal over the line, superb. Um, obviously, there's the stories about the agent being difficult and I think there's stories about the wage demands, the 300 grand a week wage demands have turned out to be a little bit uh, overstated, let's say. So I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if Arsenal were to go in and offer 300 grand a week for any player right now anyway, given their current wage structure and given the work they did in bringing in players 
in the summer. You know, Ben White was um, relatively low wages. Same with Ramsdale. Kieran Tierney's extension was not extortionate wages. So I think Arsenal are looking to avoid those kind of big money contracts that we saw for Aubameyang, that we saw for Ozil and those kind of things. So it makes it a bit trickier. What I would say is that Edu does have experience in dealing with these sort of super agents. He's obviously got a very close working relationship with Kier Jarabjian. He's got a, he's had a very good relationship with plenty of agents um, throughout his time. That was one of the things when he came over to Arsenal that he sort of had experience in. He's a smooth talker. He's good at sort of, I, I want to say, greasing the palm. Is that the right, right turn of phrase to use when it comes to, to sort of making these connections and impressing people? And he's he's always sort of, from those within the game, he's always attracted a lot of praise for how he operates in the transfer market. And I don't think he's given the impression that he can be taken for a ride or that Arsenal can be taken for a ride. So Arsenal, I don't think will overcommit if they feel that their valuation is sort of not being matched, then I don't think they'll feel the need to sort of go overboard for it. That said, Eddie does have experience, like I said, of dealing with these kind of guys. And I would hope that that's enough to help uh, Arsenal secure signing Dusan Blavich because he is such an exciting player and yeah I'm, I'm planning a big scouting piece on him so we'll, we'll see uh, we'll see what he can bring to this Arsenal side he's I agree with you beyond I struggle to think beyond Mbappe and Haaland who is the next big young striker I mean you think of the likes of maybe Karim Adeyemi at Red Bull Salzburg but I think obviously considering the league that Vlaovic is playing in and to the level he's operating at, the consistency of his game, the fact he matched Cristiano Ronaldo's Serie A record for a calendar year, which I think was a record that was only broken by Ronaldo from the last time was like 1960 or something like that. So it kind of shows the, the level that you're dealing with in terms of goals. It would be a, a massive coup for Arsenal to, to get. And uh, if they're able to do it, I think it kind of shows that intention. I mean, anyway, I think just the idea that Arsenal are looking at this as a possibility, I think should give fans, Kaya, plenty of encouragement and confidence that Arsenal are moving in an ambitious direction with plans to try and secure some of the best talents in the world. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, talent ID is a phrase that personally I hate, but it seems to be one that does the round on Twitter. And uh, listen, obviously, when Arsenal first got taken over by Mikel Arteta, that was called into question. You look at the size of Pablo Marie, Cedric, William, those kind of things. But since he sort of, I think, stopped paying attention to, I guess, um, maybe external influences, maybe agents who are interested in getting a good deal for their clients, I think Arteta's talent ID has been superb. Um, obviously, you look at the six signings that were made in the summer, they've all, pretty much all of them, come off. And that's very rare that you see that. So, yeah, going forward, I think Arsenal will be hopeful that the same thing happens again with Vlaovic. And yeah, the fact that Arsenal are being talked about realistically um, within the sort of the names of these exciting young sons, we see the likes of Haaland come through. And I remember that big talk when he was going to Borussia Dortmund, Man United were interested, Man City were interested, and obviously Arsenal were way, way off. So I think it's maybe a sign of progress Arsenal are making as a club that they can even be, I guess, considered. I don't want to sound too sort of... Um, I don't know, uh, grateful for the fact that, that, that Arsenal are even able to be interested in Vlaovic because I don't think that's the kind of mindset Arsenal should have. I think they want to be a big club. They should act like a big club in the transfer market. But the fact that they're being linked with such exciting players, like you say, is very exciting. And I think if he does come, you think Martin Odegaard, Gabriel Martinelli and Mirsk with Rover, Kaya Saka in that attack, that is, that is very, very exciting. And hopefully one that can lead Arsenal to glory in the years to come. 
I'm just thinking about all those pieces where you're right. What Arsenal could look like in five years' time and the players of the ages next to them and is when you consider that it's a huge uh, the potential of the squad and the project in itself is huge and the excitement going forwards is massive. Just to round off the show, Kaya, um, kind of I always kind of asked this and asked this to Chris the other day when we did the show with him too. Uh, beyond the players that we're linked to, what kind of expectations have you got for the window? Do you expect to see maybe a surprise link pop up like we've seen in, in past windows or do you think it's going to be Vlaovic or bust? Vlaovic or bust? Uh, I don't know quite if that's the case. I don't think Arsenal will look to sign necessarily a striker if it's not Vlaovic. I think they'll, they're, they're going to go big for the striker. I think the plan was to do it in the summer, but obviously the Aubameyang situation changed that. So they can get that done. They will. Um, Maybe we're looking at midfielders. Um, again, that's more if I can, they will. But I think we have to bear in mind that Arsenal don't have that many games coming up and the squad's already pretty stacked. And Mikel Arteta's always been one to talk about uh, the fact that he likes a team with players who have to feel involved. And I think if you look at someone like, I don't know, Callum Chambers or Isaiah Kolasinac, who have been nowhere near the first team and probably will be nowhere near the first team until the end of the season when everyone's back fit, those kind of guys, um, if you just add players on top of that when you've already got players who are sort of surplus to requirements, what does that do in terms of their confidence, their mentality, the spirit around the camp? And Arsenal are going to need to keep spirits high as they go for that Champions League place. So I think I personally would be surprised if we see any surprise deals come in before the end of the window, just because I think in terms of numbers, Arsenal were generally pretty set. Yeah, I do tend to agree. You never know, of course. We can never rule anything out. Crazy things do happen during these windows. We've seen January in particular throw up some very, very interesting deals. But uh, we will keep you up to date with everything, of course, that is going on in the world of Arsenal, as will Kaya over at football.london. Kaya, thank you so much, mate, uh, for coming on the show. Tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, at Kaya Kaya 97 on Twitter and then Facebook, I am Kaya Kaya journalist. I've got, as I said, a piece on Dusan Blavich coming out relatively soon. We're looking at uh, quite a fun one will be uh, the, the starting 11 that Arsenal can put out when they play Tottenham, potentially including some new signings, which I'm sure Spurs fans will very much enjoy. And then uh, a line coming up very soon on William Saliba and what the power memory transfer means for him. It looks like he will be coming back to Arsenal. Lovely stuff. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing where kind of he fits in. And also with these links to possible right-backs as well, I've, I've written a few pieces about how Saliba's been used uh, right-back at Marseille and kind of how that hybrid centre-back role that Tom Yasu's filled quite nicely. How there's a lot of characteristics that Saliba actually shares uh, and could find a route in his own way into that role. So we'll have to wait and see. If people you've enjoyed the show, please do drop a like on it and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. On our way now to 8,000 subs, halfway there between 7 and 8K. So thank Thank you for the continued support. We will be back very soon with our next Arsenal Agenda series and another press box will be coming up in the near future, I'm sure, as well. See you very, very soon. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way. <laughs>